Bitcoiners, welcome back to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I'm your host, CK, and I have another mining podcast for you. Everyone here knows that I am extremely interested in mining. So every time I get a chance to bring on a Bitcoin CEO in the mining space, I jump on that. And this is going to be a really exciting interview. I'm talking to JP Barrick from the mining store. And we are going to jump into his story as well as what is happening in Bitcoin mining right now. A lot is happening. It's really exciting. We are just going over all of the different compelling things uh, before we got on this call. So uh, without further ado, JP, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today and chat about the craziness going on in the Bitcoin mining industry. So JP, we're just getting to know each other here. You're the CEO of the mining store. Why don't you talk about how you got into Bitcoin? Why Bitcoin mining? So I got into Bitcoin in 2013 and when I was in high school and I got into Bitcoin mining by buying a Butterfly Labs mining machine that the, the joke was it was always going to ship two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. And about two years later, when it wasn't making much money, they finally arrived. And it was this little Butterfly Labs, I think, five gigahertz machine. So now machines are 150 terahashes, which is insanely more efficient and effective. So I got in. I started the mining store as a way to help other people get into mining, as a way to sell graphics cards to do GPU mining to mine Ethereum. And then as that progressed, we started running Bitcoin mines and building out Bitcoin mines and making Bitcoin mining accessible. And that's why I enjoy building in Bitcoin mining is because anyone can participate in Bitcoin mining and can make can make an income on it. As long as you're, you know, have access to electricity, you can make money mining Bitcoin. There's no barriers to entry. There's no licenses you need. And so to me, with a computer background and wanting to build computers and explore how to make money with computers, it just was a perfect fit. No, I mean, uh, I think that that is really interesting. Let's talk a little bit about Bitcoin. What about it captured your attention? So for me, it was this idea that money was separated from state and that with Bitcoin, there could solve the gen this Byzantine general's problem or could solve the ability to gain consensus online without the need for a central authority. And for me, I was like, okay, this seems like it might just be more than, you know, another digital trend that's going to go go away. And also, obviously, the price, you know, when you're looking at Bitcoin, you're seeing it's, oh, it's trading. And at that time, it was like $60, $70. And it got all the way up to like $100 plus. And I was like, oh, I want to I want to get in on this. Like I need to need to jump in and, and, and buy some coins. And that price action always accelerates the uh, the adventure into any asset or any uh, technology. And so for me, it was trading. It was a way to spend time in school and learn about these technologies. And then it was a way to create value through the mining process and understanding that, like I said, anyone could use energy to create an asset uh, that's scarce. And that that fact that that asset was created with electricity was something that I was intrigued by at a young age. So that's a really interesting point. I, I agree. I think like the fact that you don't have to register. You don't have to buy coins from somewhere else. So you can just plug in a machine and go. And that machine could even really be commodity hardware. Like it's not going to make you too much money. But, you know, people have plugged in like really, really, you know, uh, weak computers uh, mined on a CK pool, which is a pool that kind of pulls a bunch of people together and gives only one miner uh, or one participant the, the block award if they actually get a block. Um, but people do do actually mine blocks that way. Uh, so there's something about 
the fact that if you have electricity you and you have an internet connection, you can mine Bitcoin. That's all you need. Can you talk about like why that's so different? And maybe even like in the Ethereum world, people say, hey, let's we need to switch to proof of stake because unless you're an industrial miner, you can't mine. Like what's wrong with that kind of like narrative or perception? So, you know, in any business, you're going to get uh, scale opportunities and you're going to reduce your costs as you scale. But Bitcoin mining there becomes a point where, you know, you're not going to see those costs above, let's say, 4,000, 5,000 units because electricity is the core component and the biggest cost. And so even as a small miner, you can develop ways and you can find ways to find cheap stranded energy, which allows you to be competitive. And a small miner could be someone who's running at their house, someone who's running 10, 20 machines. And so that idea that anyone with access to electricity can now create this currency that can never be taken away from them, that there's only going to be a finite amount of them is so powerful. And the fact that it's in your hands, it's in the nation state's hand, it's in a company's hands, it'll, it just, it's a, it's a level playing field. And that's what I loved about it was that mining allowed anyone without any knowledge, prior knowledge to come in, plug in a, a specialized device now in ASIC and mine Bitcoin. Back then it was just GPU. So it was even easier. You were just mining, you know, from graphics cards that you could find on eBay or, your, or on Newegg. And that right there was the reason why I dove all into Bitcoin mining. And now Bitcoin mining is so more. It's actively working with the energy industry and receiving energy credits and playing the energy markets because the energy and electricity is a very interesting market that's always trading and changing hands and never is uh, fixed at the price. And you can't be, can't be stored easily, which makes it need to be consumed and allows a miner to play into that market very uniquely. So you talked about kind of two things uh, just at the end there. You talked about um, Bitcoin mining helping balance the grid. And then you also talked about off-grid mining. Can you talk about each of those different elements and why you think they're compelling? Sure. So off-grid mining, we'll start there. So the reason why an off-grid mine is so compelling to any type of energy production is because you can amortize that asset faster when you can consume a significant portion of its generating output over time. So what I mean by that is, let's say we have a hydro dam, and this is from a real example in Africa, they have a hydro dam, they want to build out um, a dam for the community, and they all have to pull together their funds. They buy this dam, they put it together, they put a big generator in it because they know the community is going to expand. But the community only has a small amount of power usage today, and the power usage is fluctuating over time. So by adding a Bitcoin mine, you can amortize that asset over a shorter period of time because you're using more electrons. And that same device is creating those electrons that otherwise would have gone to waste uh, in, the, in the sense of a dam or even like a large electric substation. When you amortize that substation, if it's not being used by a lot of people, it's going to be more expensive for the ratepayers or for the community. And so as a Bitcoin miner, we come into these areas where there's stranded assets, which could be you know, a dam that is just being built to provide energy to a community, or it could be a stranded asset, which would be a substation that was built with a USDA loan at 3% and has no no one really using this uh, substation or the capacity is less than 20% of usage. And so we go there, we build out Bitcoin mines at those substations, and we amortize the substations much faster for the local cooperative, for the community, because we're taking the electrons. Now, when it comes to balancing the electric grid, the electric grid, especially in the United States, is um, in, has a bunch of incentives that are not that don't make it a fair market or free market. That's just, uh, you know, 
let's all just generate energy and there's no there's no extra incentives. And so what that does is it requires or causes the price of energy to go negative. And because of these incentives for wind and solar, the energy prices can get down to negative $30 per megawatt hour, which means as a Bitcoin miner, you can be making money mining Bitcoin and be making money taking the energy. Now, this only happens, obviously, when there's a massive amounts of oversupply and when there's a lot of wind blowing and that there's and there's not much uh, demand for it, which is going to be in the middle of the night, but happens uh, more than you think, especially in the Midwest. So that's one route that Bitcoin miners can utilize the energy markets to get paid for using energy while they're also getting paid for mining Bitcoin. The other route is through demand response, which is when we turn off when the price of energy gets too high. And that's kind of on the other side of the price spectrum. And so by turning off or by saying we're going to use energy every day, the same amount of energy, that allows us to buy energy in something called the day ahead market. So when you're planning as a grid operator, you're always trying to balance the load and you buy a lot of your energy that people that know or that you know are going to use it in the day ahead market. But what happens if the amount of people that you expected to use that energy in the real time market as it's happening in real time shifts? Well, you need to be able to make an adjustment and Bitcoin miners are there to turn off during those peak carbon emitting times and provide their energy to consumers who want that and can pay more for it. No, I mean, and. For someone who's listening to this, maybe they're getting pretty intrigued. Like, wow, it looks like there's a massive opportunity to make a lot of money here. But let's talk about like the utility. Like, obviously, you know, it seems as though there's these opportunities on the U.S. grid in terms of grid balancing. But like, why is grid balancing something that Americans should want or Europeans should want or any nation that has a reliable grid infrastructure? Like, why is that like a good thing? So grid balancing is a good thing economically and also for the safety of the grid. So when it comes to the price of energy, the highest point of energy usage on all of our electric bills or on a majority of electric bills is during a 15 minute to 30 minute window called the peak period where everyone is using their energy at the same time. So you can think about this. It's the hottest point of the day, uh, five, six, seven o'clock in the summer. Or it's the coldest point in the morning, 7, 8 a.m. Everyone's waking up and turning on their kettle, turning on their natural, you know, their, their stoves if they're electric. And so these areas are these times of day create massive spikes in usage of electricity. And because you need to always have the amount of consumption match the amount of uh, production, that requires us to go turn on more expensive fuel uh, based energy production, such as natural gas or coal. And those are turned on and those bid into the market on a daily basis and are picked up. And so as the market, uh, it begins to accelerate in price because there's only so many electrons available, we can see that that price of that electron at that moment is going to be significantly higher than if you wanted to use energy any other time of the day. So consumers, if they start to put themselves in the, in that shoe of like, okay, I actually can affect my energy bill by deciding when I use energy and by being educated when I am using that energy and when I'm not, it allows them to take advantage of these uh, these rates and of the, the market dynamics. Now, as a Bitcoin miner, you have a much larger scale because you're using a significantly more amounts of energy and you're able to turn off very quickly and it's able to be automated. So that does help. You're not always having to focus, you know, do it manually and your impact is much larger, which, and there's programs you can get in that allow you to, uh, since you're committing to using the energy 24 seven, allow you to turn off and make money. Now, why is it good for the grids, um, grids of stability? 
as I mentioned, it's it's more about what flexible load we can have, what flexible demand and production we can have, because we're always having to match production and demand. If something happens, like if a nuclear plant doesn't turn on that was supposed to, if uh, the wind suddenly stops blowing, well, we only have so many choices as a grid, as a grid operator, in order to get energy to the consumer without having a brownout, without having to turn people off. And so those options are limited to you know, grabbing from a battery, but batteries are very expensive. Uh, grabbing from turning on other energy sources. Sometimes those energy sources can't come on immediately. And so that's where Bitcoin miners can play uh, a great part and demand response can play a great part, which is shutting down those instances of energy that are being used that uh, can be shut down like a Bitcoin miner and then giving that energy back, which is going to make sure the grid doesn't go into brownouts, which causes um, stress on electrical infrastructure. Yeah, and just to kind of like add a little bit more, because this is something I'm super interested in, effectively kind of what Bitcoin mining does is it increases the power usage all the time. So that way when power, the community, society needs to pull more power from the grid, the grid, rather than having to go and find more energy uses, they can just incentivize Bitcoin miners to turn off, sell that energy back to the grid, make that energy available for the grid again, um, and, and that is a much, much healthier for the grid and it's actually better for energy reliability because now you just have this grid that has the capacity to serve society, no matter what, you know, the demand is rather than, um, you know, again, brownouts, which is effectively the grid has to turn off in certain areas because they're looking for more energy to bring online. I guess, do you want to res respond to that, JP? I just want to say that, you know, we're so lucky to be able to plug in electric outlets to the wall and have the assumption that they're always going to be working and it's always on. We take it for granted. And the reality is, is that like stable electricity, even especially in the U.S., wasn't a thing, you know, until 1970s when we had the National Rural Utility Electric Act. Most of the U.S. wasn't electrified, wasn't, uh, you know, didn't have the stable grid that we have today. And so... That's so important. And we take it for granted because when you think about how hard it is to live without energy, you're like, wait, I charge my phone. I charge my laptop. My refrigerator needs energy. You know, I'm like at my phone, every single thing you touch, even my electric bike back there is using energy. And so it's like it moves us through the world. And without it, it we're less productive, basically, and less effective as a society. Totally. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this interview without exactly. energy, it would be right? gone. <laughs> like, like this is only possible at this cost. We can just turn on our computers and get online and do it and record it and then stream it to the world because of our access to energy. So, JP, I want to um, transition over to talking about the mining store. Um, so you started the mining store early on. And, you know, the business has kind of transformed through several cycles here within Bitcoin. Can you just talk about um, being an operator in Bitcoin, building a company through bull and bear and what's that like? And then we can talk about your, uh, your services. Yeah. So, you know, when you're in the mining business and especially in the Bitcoin business, it's one where no one wants to talk about Bitcoin and then everyone wants to talk about Bitcoin. And that always presents a struggle because, um, you know, you're scaling rapidly and then things go and go to a screeching halt almost and they slow, so slow, slow down. But it's let me be patient. Let me figure out, OK, how do I slowly scale a business? How do I scale a business that I know the hires I make today are not going to have to be let go when the bull market comes down 
Or how do I scale a business with the intent of, okay, this hire is for this many months or this many years or this period, knowing that it's a bull market and then we're going to have to let them go in the bear market. And so really trying to build the business in a programmatic fashion where the amount of machines we have running matches the amount of employees we have. And then it all comes down to services and what you want to add to it and how you can make Bitcoin mining easier, more accessible. And for me, that's the reason why I've I've been mining and started mining store was to get Bitcoin mining in the hands of consumers and the hands of people who would not other not would not otherwise be able to take that opportunity and get Bitcoin mining exposure because they don't want to spend the time, you know, running a whole facility, staffing it, cleaning their machines, dealing with the RMAs. And so our focus is on providing white glove solutions for consumers, for larger institutions with building out their own facilities and owning them, and then for your real estate investors. All right. So those are three different uh, groups of folks that you're trying to work with. How do you how do you kind of manage? And it sounds like if you're talking to real estate investors, to some degree, you might have to orange pill a little bit. I guess talk talk through talk through those different elements of the business. Sure. So the, the first element of the business is the consumer, the basic consumer. And I've been on a journey of how do you provide Bitcoin mining access to people, you know, for under a thousand dollars, for a hundred dollars. And you keep, you know, we've heard of smart, these, these hash rate contracts, and then there's people doing NFTs with Bitcoin miners. And what I settled on was doing something called a reg CF, which is regulated crowdfunding, which allows me to create a company that's just a Bitcoin mining company with an influencer or with someone like with myself, for example, and then say, I'm going to raise money to buy Bitcoin miners and operate them on behalf of everyone in this uh, company, everyone who invests in the Reg CF. So they're buying a security and it's a regulated security that you can solicit on you know, Instagram, TikTok, all over um, the Internet. And so for that, that's one level where we're providing entry at a hundred dollar minimum and we're working with influencers to invest into Bitcoin mining through a program called BitVault. So if, if that's uh, appealing to you, that's on WeFunder.com and you can search BitVault. You can find different influencers and myself raising money uh, all year round into these Bitcoin mining companies. And you own a percentage of those. Like I said, the reason why we do that is to follow security rules and make sure that we can um, be compliant when we're issuing and offering these securities and knowing that you're only owning part of a Bitcoin miner. But the company is defined and it's not going to go out and spend you know, millions of dollars on corporate jets like Core Scientific did. It has a very clear mandate and it's more of like an SPV or a special purpose vehicle. The second in- investors are going to be investors that are putting up $100,000. Now, why don't you just take you know, the investors that are taking $100 and say, OK, yeah, maybe, maybe $100 is not enough to buy machines, but $1,000 is. The problem is with from $1,000 to $100,000 is when you scale your Bitcoin mine, in order to keep costs down, you need to make sure you can scale that customer service layer. And so if you have one owner of one machine and they are always you know, putting in tickets and you got to manage their asset and you got to manage the life cycle of the asset, it's much harder to do in that individual owner structure. And so at $100,000, you have enough of a savings where that client's going to own maybe 20 machines, 50 machines, um, and they're going to be able to be serviced well and understand that their portfolio of machines will shrink over time and because of the nature of hardware and you know it, it failing. So that investor is part of our MMP program, which is a, a profit sharing program where we're leasing the machine from the investor, operating at them and taking a percentage 
of the generated revenue, just like a pool takes the percentage of, of Bitcoin mined. And then we charge electricity at cost plus a basis. And the last group of investors are large scale institutions who are looking for getting, who are looking to get Bitcoin at a, at a discount and facilities that they either own or are major investors in, where they own the land, they own the infrastructure, they own the machines, and they sign long-term contracts with us as an operator to operate their facility for them. And they receive the Bitcoin, they pay their power bills directly, and we just help facilitate the production, uh, the deployment, and then the operations of those mines. And that's going to be more, closer to five to $50 million projects. Gotcha. So, I mean, you're really kind of hitting the the entire scale, both with, uh, you know, I guess the crowdfunding option and then with the ability to own machines. And I guess it's the leasing option. And then lastly, it's it's operating on uh, on investors land. Um, I guess my question is, in terms of you talked about there's this whole wide variety of different environments in which you can mine in. What what's the when you are operating mines, you know, what what's kind of your bread and butter? So our bread and butter is going to be in the Midwest and going and starting off at substations five to 15 megawatts building out there. That's where we've gotten really good at deploying, hiring, staffing, and ensuring that these facilities work well with the local grid. Now the grid's always changing and the grid rules are going to be changing over the next six months in the Midwest. And so that could provide the opportunity for us to deploy more facilities in, in a single area because we don't have to worry about the local community's power usage as we're not going to be impacted as much by our usage relative to theirs and that peak load and getting out of that peak load, as I mentioned earlier. But that's where we're focused on. That's where we're scaling. And I'm also always looking for larger projects where you can do 100 megawatt sites. And those just require a lot more time and throughput. And you have to build out more substation infrastructure versus sites that already have infrastructure, which is what we like to target today. And then on, on those projects, effectively, the real estate owner, they're interested in getting Bitcoin. They own the ASICs. They own the infrastructure. You're making it all happen in turnkey fashion and operating um, and actually operating the mine. Is that? Yeah. Does that and some of, of those sites are owned by us as well, right? So some of those yeah. sites, we have a portfolio of projects to building out and some sites will market to the family offices. They like sites that are in uh, you know, different areas, different tax zones. And we really, our goal is to find the lowest cost electricity. And so we then build out the sites and then we offer to our MMP clients, traditional hosting clients, and then also the Reg CF uh, BitVault influencers as well. Gotcha. Awesome. I guess w what's next for the mining store? What are you excited for? Really, it's just adding more megawatts under management scaling and then building a, a presence where it, it, it makes sense for influencers to come on, raise through the reg CF and are able to very quickly deploy their own Bitcoin mining community uh, with their fan base. And so there's that continuing to put out social media content, really trying to figure out, you know, what goes viral. We have this script that always seems to go viral and, and playing around with that more and really just driving uh, awareness and engagement on social media as well about Bitcoin mining and its impact on the electric grid and how you can make money from electricity. So last question about uh, kind of your offering, and then we can jump into like what's happening in the Bitcoin mining landscape right now, because a lot of interesting things are kind of going down. But in terms of the reg CF, um, you know, what are, I guess, like, 
what are the kind of risks involved when someone is is kind of investing in one of these projects? Yeah, so when you're investing in a Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin mining reg CF, you're investing in a company that's going to buy Bitcoin miners and run them in a hosting contract. So you're having you have the exposure that any Bitcoin miner has on the electric electric prices, the price of machines, uh, the operator's ability to keep uptime, um, you know, the ins- insurance costs or insurance risks of um, theft of a tornado of a hurricane, you know, whatever that is, that's a real risk. And so you have the risk of owning a physical asset. The reason why it's potentially less risky than buying one machine is now you're spreading that risk over 50 or 100 machines. And so you own a proportional share of each machine because you own a share that represents that ownership in the company. Um, that's the risk of investing in a reg CF um, in, in any type of, I guess, Bitcoin mining investment. Um, for us, we're focused on different types of distributions and each influencer can choose how they want to distribute the funds and when they want to distribute the funds. So for Josh Terry, BitVault, which is one of the BitVaults who successfully raised, deployed, and launched, he's going to distribute the Bitcoin after five years. So the investors in there are not receiving any dividends. They'll get depreciation or appreciation on the asset at the end of every year through a K-1, but they're not going to receive any dividends until five years when they're going to get one lump sum payment uh, either in cash or Bitcoin. And, and that's, you know, that's their final payout of the of the infrastructure and of their investment for my investment we're i'm considering a few different options and looking to pay a flat interest rate or a flat preferred return and then a split at the end of a five-year period or seven-year period where the investor receives uh the capital left in the left in the entity at the end of the day so i guess at that expiration period uh when the payout happens does the entity kind of dissolve or like what yep. what happens no there? more assets it just dissolves and it's just like here's your funds you know we said what we were going to do we were going to go mine as many bitcoins as we can you know we're going to ho- hope the bitcoin appreciates as well on the balance sheet and then pay you out in cash and so you're taking a long bitcoin bet and there's there are some influencers that we expect to say hey i want to pay everyone quarterly i just want to pay them out you know annually uh but it's up to the influencer to decide their distribution because it's their offering and with the reg mm-hmm. cf you can solicit any security as long as it's defined and it's done through the right mediums and platforms gotcha so really you you kind of have like two audiences here it's it's the main audiences you're looking for people who want to uh be able to uh have run a hosted bitcoin mining business that have an audience and on the flip side um you are looking for audiences that are interested in a turnkey way to mine Bitcoin. Um, makes a lot. It makes a lot of sense. And uh, first time I've heard of the model, so uh, very interesting to kind of see um, how that evolves. Um, wanted to pivot into talking about the actual mining landscape. A lot is happening right now. Um, I could just list off a bunch of things, but I'd prefer just to go back to you and you know maybe you can talk about what you're interpreting. You know, between the public markets, uh, hash rate, all that kind of good stuff. You know, what 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 are you paying attention to? So for me, I'm paying attention. Obviously, the pub goes. They're growing at a rapid scale. The ones who are owning and building infrastructure and have a lower operating cost and are continuing to deploy those projects are key opportunities in this space. Now, obviously, I think with the Bitcoin run up, um, it was a little frothy before. You know, public stocks went up dramatically, 300, 400 percent. We saw Vanguard take a 10% uh, share in Riot. 
So there is some massive institutional capital coming into these pubcos and buying up stock. Uh, we saw Terra Wolf announced that they purchased 18,000 S19 XPs from Bitmain with delivery, you know, November, October, December timeframe. So there's only going to be more and more machines plugged in. And these are S19Js, 151 terahashes. And so the amount of capital that's going to be deployed on the balance sheet in books of these public companies is going to be astonishing. And it's going to be, it's going to rapidly grow because the way a pubco is, um, you know, its market cap is defined is on that cash flow and how many assets they have and what the asset value is. And so the goal of a Bitcoin mining company is to get as many Bitcoin miners on the books um, during the bull market and before the bull market. Um, during the halving event, what I think is going to happen is I think S9s are going to be obviously turned off. S17s and any type of model in that range is going to also have to be turned off, won't be profitable. And even S19s at most energy rates are going to barely be profitable and could have to be shut off as well for a few weeks. Difficulty, as we saw last having, usually takes 30 days to adjust just because there's two adjustment periods down. And so if we're at, let's say, six cents a terahash now with that difficulty or the halving event, we could be at three cents a terahash. And then with those difficulty adjustments, move back up close to that four, five, five range, but still not all the way up to six. And so as a Bitcoin miner, the best way to prepare for that is to build a cash position. Don't be afraid to take some cash off the table. Um, if you don't have a large Bitcoin stack that's unencumbered and be ready to turn off some of your machines, make sure your energy contracts aren't going to force you to buy all that power and that you can, you do have the ability to shut off and not pay for energy, which is called a take or pay contract if you have to pay for energy. And uh, that's the best way to survive the halving event in the bear market. And this will be my, my third halving. So I'm super excited for it. Yeah. I mean, I think that really good insight there, JP and, um, I guess, why don't you kind of break down, like, what is the having, why is it good for Bitcoin and Bitcoin miners? And on the flip side, like, why is this such a stressful kind of event for operators who, you know, obviously need to maintain cash flow and, you know, they have a lot of, you know, complexities in their operation per se. The biggest, you know, problem with a Bitcoin miner is you're spending all this money on energy every day. And so most Bitcoin miners, you know, we collect our Bitcoin at the end of the month. We like have to sell them or lend against them and, and pay our bills, pay our employees, pay our electric bills. And so when the halving happens, you know, the employees aren't leaving. They don't change. The electric price, electric price didn't just change. And so as an operator, especially if an operator with who has debt and who has leverage, you now have to start pulling from your balance sheet in order to pay these liabilities until the um, value of Bitcoin appreciates rapidly, until mining profitability increases again, where you can turn back on that fleet of machines. And so most operators are in this chicken and egg game of like, do I buy new machines now or do I wait for the halving event to buy them because there's going to be some cheaper deals? Do I buy the latest version of machine or do I buy a cheaper, newer machine? Do I take these machines off the shelf because they're not profitable or do I keep them on the shelf because it takes time and energy to, and, and maintenance and hours to take them off and then put them back on a few months later when they are? And you, you're always managing that rack space. And so that's the name of the game of an operator is they have their fleet of operations. How do you get the most uh, juice out of it? And then what type of incentives other outside of Bitcoin mining do you have in the energy business? Um, and, and is there value to just running at break even if you can make money in the energy side of the business by selling the rights to the energy? 
Now the halving is going to happen April and May. And so you'll be going into the summer, which is usually when we see difficulty adjustments drop down either way because of demand response, because operations are harder to run in the summer. And so even in June and July, there could be significant drops in difficulty uh, in 2024. JP, is the having priced in? I feel like that's the age-old question. Is the having no? The having is never priced in. I mean, the 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 effects that Bitcoin uh, miners it has on their industry is not priced in. I mean, that's why we see the run up every time. We see a massive run up because it's like if we priced in the having, the price would be gradually going up over time. But no. No one really cares what they're having. And then the amount of Bitcoin miners, my, Bitcoin that Bitcoin miners are selling gets cut in half. And it's like, oh, there's no more sell pressure on this book. It's very thin already. And the price rips. And I think I think they're going to call it, you know, maybe this year or next year. Oh, it's, you know, it's a BlackRock ETF that's doing it. But no, this is program money. It happens every four years. And it's the having event that causes it. It doesn't matter what new vehicle comes online that allows people to put capital into it. It's a plays a uh, fundamental part in the whole thing. Do you ever speculate about the timing of the having and the U S political cycle? Uh, I mean, I've heard, heard the theory. I don't want, don't want to say I speculate about it, but I do think it plays nicely with being in the presidential election, but being the same, same year. And when everyone's talking about, you know, the, the new elect, the new government or the new government, the new president coming in, Bitcoin is saying, okay, I'm ch chugging away one block at a time. It doesn't matter. And by the way, the price just got, you know, it just got much harder. And the public, you know, they just, they just, they don't, they don't really care necessarily. Like, okay, continue living my day. But the presidential election, we're all focused on that. Like, oh yeah, it's, a, it's going to change my life. The reality is, is like the having will change your life and you can get economic freedom and financial freedom by paying attention to that. But people like shiny objects. That's why we don't focus on the complicated things per se. If you're looking to make, you know, an entry into Bitcoin mining, uh, you know, the other route we haven't talked about, we talked about stocks, public stocks. And so, you know, full disclosure, I am invested in a lot of the pub goes. So uh, I do have incentives to talk, you know, talk about this, but the public companies, you're, you're wanting to understand like, okay, if Bitcoin having is going to be in May, 2024, you know, what type of, you can buy option contracts, you know, for a year after that event, like when the price of Bitcoin has gone up. The other route is to look at as like Coinbase, you know, micro strategy. What companies have a lot of Bitcoin exposure that have the potential to, you know, get a value when the Bitcoin price increases? Because value in the public market is, um, I would say, ag aggravated or ex it's, it gets much larger it's when it's in the public market versus a private market because of the multiples on those businesses and those companies. And so if you can think of assets or pubcos that, are going to have Bitcoin exposure and look for those uh, purchases in you know, December and January of 2025, then you're might be in a good place to, you know, to make some money outside of a Bitcoin run up. Um, so JP, I want to talk about, um, you know, 273 days until the having estimated, you know, that's a little bit less than a year. And, you know, and from a BTC denominated perspective, you're going to be getting half as much Bitcoin after those 273 days are over. How do you take advantage in stacking as, as much coin as possible, given the fact that this kind of like uh, timer is, is kind of clicking away? And, and you know, how do you kind of operate uh, once uh, it becomes a lot more real that the halving is on the way? 
Well, I would say it can create a sense of urgency to deploy capital, to deploy machines, to continue scaling projects. For us, it's five megawatt sites, five megawatt sites, five megawatt sites, line them up. And it's less of like the having we're playing against, but it's really winter. You know, when winter comes around in the Midwest, we can't put infrastructure in the ground for about a four month period because it's so cold. And in order to do that, we have to unfreeze or unthaw the ground. And so there's more of those technical problems that we're working towards. And so the goal is to build out as much rack space as you can and be filling your rack space quickly. So scaling a deployment team, working on deployment operations, ensuring that every part of the deployment checklist is done and verified and that um, you're improving the process of how you're verifying on these sites, um, hiring new technicians, getting them through your training programs before they go and are out in the facility or out in the field, uh, you know, doing that prior to when you need them so that when they're, you know, when the site's ready or as the site's being finalized, they're able to come on site and help finish that. So that's the keys that, you know, keys to success that we're putting together in place is building this systematic process that can do five megawatt site this month, five megawatt site next month, five megawatt site the next month, and then still focus on your much larger projects where you're putting up a whole substation, but in a building. And that's going to take, you know, the same, a similar period of time, but it's going to take, you know, waiting on parts, waiting on components versus these five megawatt sites. It's very quick. We're buying off the shelf items. The lead times aren't very long and the amount of planning that we have to do on longer lead time items uh, is minimal, but we're still deploying infrastructure and always, you know, adding more and more hash rate. When it comes to the having, a lot of people will stop and ask, we probably will too on the amount of new rack space we're building because some of that rack space will be turned off and won't be running as many machines. Makes complete sense. And, uh, you know, ultimately it, it's something that if you have the luxury of being able to plan that far ahead, you would want to, but a lot of times with these mining businesses, the, the constraints are a lot more right in front of you. You need to make it past this month of bills or whatever. And so it really is difficult on operators. Yeah. Every month is another month you're fighting for. And if you're even like you saw the pubcos, like some of those guys got so low in their stock, you know, wanted to declare bankruptcy or some of them declared bankruptcy because mining is not an easy game. And if you take out debt at the wrong time to buy Bitcoin miners, you will not be around because those Bitcoin miners you bought will never, no matter how well you run them, generate you enough Bitcoin in terms of dollars or in terms of Bitcoin, uh, you know, to, 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 to pay them back. And so that's what a lot of those pubcos did. And that's why it's important you find people with a low cost, you know, with a, with a great balance sheet that's a public company and that are, have great operations and low cost of energy. JP, this has been a great conversation. I think you've like really told the audience a lot of insider information about how this actually works in, in, in real life, right? And you've done yeah. it for such a long time. Uh, I want to give you a last word before we close out the interview. All I'll say is Bitcoin is amazing. It protects you from inflation, which is taxation without representation. And check out uh, my, my Instagram, it's at John Paul Barrick, uh, at Mining Store on Twitter. And TikTok, if you're on TikTok, is JP Barrick as well. Um, always putting out Bitcoin mining content and have a podcast called Digital Gold. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about the energy side of things and hearing energy experts talk about Bitcoin, um, if you're interested in building with us, reach out. We'd love to build with great creators, great uh, developers, great people who are infrastructures 
And if you want a technician job and you want to work on mining machines all day, I'm living in the middle of Iowa in the beautiful cornfields. Let us know. Thanks again for the time. No, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. And to all the audience, thank you so much for listening. Um, this has been CK with Bitcoin Magazine. You can come see me at Bitcoin Amsterdam October 12th to the 13th. Use promo code DMLive to save 10% and a lot more exciting speakers being announced. So that event is in less than 90 days. Can't wait to see you there. Peace.